from the west to the east coast and all over the world. It's Bobby Manning, your host here on the Celtics Blog Podcast, the official Celtics podcast of CelticsBlog.com. That's what that means, doesn't it? Uh, with us today here on the program is a couple of great guests to ease us out of All-Star Weekend, get us in the game action, get us back into the X and O swing of things. As many of you know, I'm an X's and O's kind of guy. I love breaking the game down. The intricacies of basketball are my thing, but I realize that's not the case with everybody. A lot of people just like to have a fun, good time when they're talking about this team, when they're looking at this team, and our two guests today love to do that, so I'm glad they're going to be here to force me to have a little bit of fun. With us is Jared Weiss. You know him well. He was a writer here at Celtics Blog for many years before he went off and started the Celtics Wire, so we'll bring him back into the fold today to talk about Marcus Smart and All-Star Weekend because he was out in LA enjoying the festivities and all the basketball that happened out there. So I'm wicked excited to hear what he has to say to us. Max Letterman is here as well from NBC Sports Boston. I can't believe I say that on the first try now. It used to be Comcast Sportsnet and they changed their name once again, but he's the man behind the Celtics broadcast, the Celtics coverage in general over at that station. So we're going to talk to him about ratings, the fan base, engagement, everything else. That's our show. So before we get into it, if you want to see the Celtics right out of the All-Star break, I can't recommend a ticket service other than SeatGeek. It's my favorite. It's the only one on my phone, and it is my go-to. It has been for years. I downloaded this app about two, three years ago, and it's been on there ever since. Got a new phone, had to download it once again because it makes ticket buying, which can be an excruciating process, incredibly easy. You just open up the app, go to your concert screen, it'll show you a map of your venue, TD Garden gives you all the rows, everything you need to know right there, and better than any other app, it gives you the ratings on the deals, green means go, red means stop, and don't even look at it, so it's that easy, it's like driving through the street, which is probably harder, to be honest, so go get your SeatGeek tickets, and you can get $20 off your first purchase. If you haven't used this app before, now's the time to do it because you're going to get $20 off with the code Celtics Roundtable. That's SeatGeek. Look for it in your app store. Celtics Roundtable is your checkout code and you're going to get $20 off. It is the best place to buy tickets, let me tell you. And here is the best guy to talk to about LA now. Here he is on the road in parts unknown. Normally it's just in Poland. That we hear from from parts unknown today. It's Jared Weiss. Welcome aboard the Celtics Blog Pod, Jared. I'm glad I could reach out from an unknown location. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's get right into it because there is so much to talk about. You were out in LA as your great Instagram stories uh, showed us, and <laughs> you got to experience everything All Star Weekend had to offer, and it was it was something this year. The concerts. The whole event, it just it was it was very Los Angeles, the All Star break. But we'll get to that in just a second. The big news today is that Marcus Smart, we've heard quite a bit about his impact on the team this year as they've gone on a little bit of a slide since he is 
exited the lineup with his hand injury. But we got news today that he almost missed the entire season with that injury. Now, that is something. Can you just take us through what you know about it? Yeah, so, I mean, I can't imagine anyone listening to this doesn't remember what happened. Uh, in January, he punched a picture frame on a wall, and the glass shattered. He was, as he says, angry about missing the what would have been the buzzer-beating or game-winning shot against the Lakers the night before in a play that we thought was kind of controversial, but wasn't that controversial, really. The glass shattered in his hand. He had what was termed a deep laceration. I had heard it was pretty bad. Didn't really realize how bad it was until we found out that he was in the hospital and getting 20 stitches, and it's kind of all gone under the rug. He's been out for like a month. He's finally coming back. And then yesterday, he said something that kind of took it another level further than we had really heard before, which was that he, so he had like a shard of glass that was like two to three inches thick in his hand. But it's basically like, you know, the like length of your thumb or even like a that, little bit longer had than me, that. Like that had me on the verge of throwing up. <laughs> that was disgusting. Yeah, it's like, that's like, the, it's like almost the size of your hand. You know, it's, it's pretty big. And so he said that it, it basically, it sounds like it kind of like went straight through if you like line it up like along your fingers and was able to get through the palm without hitting those big ligaments or tendons there and that was kind of a miracle for him because if it had clipped those tendons he would have had to have surgery to like basically re you know recap like set up his hand and repair those tendons and he would have been out for the year so you know we knew that he had like laceration, which we thought it was like the glass, like scratched him pretty deep, and you know he needed some uh, he needed some surgery on it, but or needed some treatment on it, stitches. But it turns out it was like a shard deep into his hand. It's worse than we had realized before. And yeah, he got really lucky because you know he's on a contract here. It's a pretty huge. You know, there's contract years that are a big deal for most guys. It's a really big deal for him because he's caught in a really tricky market. The team I reported uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, it's a kind of all blur at this point, but uh, that they were about 10 million apart at the end of negotiations, and really his market value has kind of gone down, mostly because his play has pretty much, I would say, continued from the level that it was last year, which was like really good. But you're looking for a guy to continue to make notable improvements in year four. And it's been pretty much the same as it was last year. And the market has gotten more difficult for him this year. So there's still a ton of factors that we'll see how they play out in June and July. But at this point, uh, he's just very lucky. Absolutely. If he missed the entire season with that hand injury, I think the conversation would have been to a next level. Like You probably would have had teams around the league saying, hmm, maybe maybe this isn't the greatest choice. Maybe he would have put his career on the line. Might be a stretch right there or not. It's a stretch. It's a stretch. <laughs> um, well, like for one, his shooting's already pretty bad. It can't get much worse. And so, and I should say his consistency is really bad. I mean, we do want to want to be clear that like once in a while he's a knockdown three point shooter. He's just very inconsistent. Mm. If if he had to have surgery repair his hand and was out for like six months, I mean, he would miss the season, but he would come back and he would be okay next year. I, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised if that had happened. If he would have taken in the qualifying offer and waited another year to hit free agency and that's still a possibility if he's if he's just getting like nine million a year offers on the market which would be a lot lower than what his market was looking like last year but a lot has changed in that time 
Um, but if he's just looking at like mid-level exception money for like nine million or so, I wouldn't be shocked to see him take the qualifying offer and then play out one more year before signing his multi-year extension. But he he definitely wants to stay in Boston. And he definitely wants to get a multi-year deal, which his slew of small injuries over the years have probably made him even more motivated than ever to lock up that four-year deal now. From how the team put it, Brad Stevens especially, they they just seemed really disappointed about this. Um, not happy with Smart at all, just from the tone of the way Stevens was talking, at least to me. Have amends been made on that front? I know he had a conversation with Smart as they were coming back out of the break, Stevens that is. What kind of conversations did they have pretty much saying, you know, you got to um, be ready to go, I b- believe uh, I heard Steven say on 98.5, but how are they trying to transition him back in after a self-inflicted wound like that? Yeah, I mean, there's not like a, I think Smart's one of those guys that can kind of just jump right in there because he's a high energy guy. You know, he's he's kind of the, you know, he's the do all the little things kind of guy. So for him, it's mostly just jumping in and doing what he was doing before. And it's not like he has a conditioning thing. That, I mean, like, obviously anyone who hasn't been playing consistent basketball needs to kind of get their win back in them. But like he, he's had a hand injury, so he's still been able to run and work out and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think there's going to be too much of a adjustment period for him in that regard. Uh, but who knows what the shooting's going to be like right now. I mean, that's, that's kind of the biggest question. Um, you know, it was on the outside of his hand, so at least it's not like catching the ball is going to hurt really bad. Uh, but his like able to his ability to like flex his hand really hard shooting the ball might be a little difficult because he's had that wound that's been healing for the last month or so. So I, I don't know how that's going to play out really, but uh, they need him. <laughs> There's no question about that. I mean, all the issues that they've been dealing with with their lack of you know defensive physicality on the perimeter their lack of energy and transition, all that kind of stuff, their erratic energy throughout games. Those are kind of all the things that Smart really does well, and those are the things that Smart was kind of the lifeblood of the team for. So he's not the sole reason why they've been struggling, but getting him back and then Shane Larkin, who's still is questionable for Friday's game with a lingering knee injury. I mean, those are the two guys that I think address the issues that they've had more than anybody. Celtics playing the Pistons tonight in Detroit as they turn up, return from the All-Star break. Jared is returning from the All-Star break to Los Angeles, man. I, I know you're excited to talk about this. Let's, let's take it right from the beginning. How was that journey out to L.A., and what was the first thing you did when you got there? Okay, there's, there's one thing you do whenever you land in L.A. is you go to the In-N-Out right down the street from LAX, and you get a, you get a double meet the hype. animal style. Oh, yeah, it's... I mean, I've been going in and out for a few years now, so I would say that the burger definitely is meets the hype. The fries, I think, are a little overrated, uh, but I mean, it's so cheap too. It's like it's like the cup of a coffee in Boston to get an In and Out burger. It's kind of amazing. So yeah, I love In and Out. That's always the first thing I go do. So I went with a friend to In and Out. That was perfect way to set the tone for the uh, for the rest of the week. So you were there all three days for all the events. Uh, Jalen Brown put on a show out at the Rising Stars game. And we, we've t- had countless conversations about his dribble moves, his ability to create for himself in the half court. And I know it's an exhibition. I know we've seen him look amazing in exhibitions before, but he looked like Irving-esque at times out there on the dribble. That was something, wasn't it? Is that Kyrie Irving or Julius <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he he has he has a lot of Dr. J to his game. I mean, he's, I'm not going to make that comparison, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he uh, 
he, I mean, he has some good, like he's advanced his transition dribbling moves where he's got it behind the back now. He's got a bit of a crossover sometimes. He's made a lot of progress on those over the last couple of years, and he started to show some of that. Because, you know, in the Rising Stars Challenge, a transition defense isn't quite up to NBA levels. So that's probably where guys lack the most. So, you know, that was really fun to see. I asked him after the game whether, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't in the dunk contest. I asked him if this would kind of serve as his own little dunk contest. And he said that dunk contest was the evening after that. So we said, I'll see what they bring to the table tomorrow night, and then uh, maybe have to challenge them next year. And I think pretty much everyone agreed that most of the dunks from uh, that dunk contest were kind of throwback dunks that people have done before in previous dunk contests. It was kind of disappointing in that regard. So I'm pretty sure Jalen's looking at it. He's like, screw it. I'm going to come out and do a bunch of new stuff next year. So I would be pretty surprised if he wasn't in the contest next year. So what were the sights out there? I know you ran in the Quavo. That was uh, highly noted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can, you no, take us, was, can you take us beyond the tweet? <laughs> sure. Well, it, it wasn't like the tweet kind of sums it up. It was uh, I was walking backstage and Migos was coming off and I like I was it was a kind of like a narrow area and uh, I bumped like I was like about to bump into Quavo and he just went around me he just went Skirt! and it just like <laughs> kept going. And I was like, yeah, that's that's pretty freaking awesome. So I don't <laughs> usually get too excited say? about celebrity sightings, but like I love Migos. I listen to Quavo on a daily basis. He's he is like a larger than life icon. And to see him do that in real life is like the funniest thing ever. It'd be like if you saw Kanye and he went, hey. So I <laughs> and I, I'm pissed because I went to the Adidas show when I heard Kanye was coming out. And I got there right after Kanye finished, and I missed it. I was so pissed. But then I keep walking, and I see that Gambino's about to go on. And Charles Gambino's like has been my favorite artist for over a decade now. And getting to finally see him live. Well, actually, I have seen him live. I just haven't seen him live since, like, I think I saw him when Camp came out. So to get to see him live now was, like, an unbelievable experience. So that was that was definitely the highlight of the uh, – I, I think it was a highlight. It was one of the highlights of the weekend. That that was, that had me jealous right there. Concert with the Kid Cudi Gambino lineup was my ideal concert in 2018. But I did I did get to see Tyler the Creator last night, so I think that made up for it. My next question for you is about the All Star Game itself. That was a very good game, and the reviews seem to be outstandingly positive. Great back and forth action over the final few minutes there. Is that going to be the model now? I know there was a lot of talk about how successful that was, but beyond that, televising the draft too might be a step forward toward next year. Yeah, I mean, Silver has come out, and like as soon as the game was over, he was like, yeah, we're going to televise it next year. Like, this is too much fun. And he, I think, doubled down on that, so it's it's pretty much official now. They're going to televise it, which is really exciting. I mean, Al Horford, it sounds like, was the last pick, pretty much. So if he's cool with it, which he is, then it doesn't matter. And you know, Hor- the guys that get picked last kind of don't really care. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that, that'll be great. I mean, the game was great. I I think it was the first All-Star game I've actually watched in person because I went I went to the one at MSG a few years ago, but I didn't actually go watch the game. So, <laughs> but that game was terrible anyway. Uh, but it was really, really exciting. And, you know, the first three quarters was kind of up and down. It wasn't that amazing, which is fine because once the fourth quarter was starting, 
you kind of like felt the intensity build up and like the crowd was getting excited and like you could tell it was going to be something special and just the way that everybody came out there they were playing like serious intense basketball the last five minutes when you had all the stars out there i mean there were a lot of storylines that they were really playing for the fact that this is what i wrote about on celtics wire and what i asked lebron about after the game the fact that after everything that's happened with Kyrie and LeBron and all of the you know, all the little like things that happened during All-Star Week where it's like, oh, they're smiling together, they're good together, all that stuff. To have Kyrie feed LeBron for what, would, what ended up the game-winning basket in the All-Star game is such an insane story. I, I still can't believe that happened. It was incredible. And I, I termed it as the ultimate, uh, the ultimate signature to a peace accord at the Ultimate Peace uh, Summit. So it, it was great. I still can't believe that the All-Star game finished the way it did. Uh, I, I called early in the fourth quarter that the game was going to end with Kyrie hitting a three and then LeBron getting a chase on block to clinch the game. Ended up being Kyrie assisting LeBron and then LeBron stuffing, was it Steph Curry, I think, in the corner to end the game. So it wasn't that far off, but... You know, it was it was just it was so wonderful to see the way that everything played out. We did see your face on Sports Center too, which has become a reoccurring thing. Uh, g- <laughs> good good exchange with LeBron right there. I know you've gone to uh, talk to LeBron quite a bit over the years with uh, how many Celtics Cavs matchups there's been. What's it like seeing him in an environment like that among so many other stars and just being in a locker room full of the best players in the sport? I mean, on a day to day basis, you're in the Celtics locker room with everyone from superstars to D-League players, or G-League players, rather. You're in a locker room now full of the best of the best in the world. Yeah, well, I mean, I cover Yabu, so I'm used to being around the best of the best in the world. (laughs) True that. Well, so you don't go into the locker room after the All-Star game. It's a little Ah, different. It's just uh, people, yeah, they just send people to, like, a mixed zone, basically, so you're just scrambling to grab interviews there. It was... It was it was definitely interesting to see like it's usually when you're covering a Cavs game, there's a bunch of other stars and players, and then there's LeBron. It's like a huge uh, star contrast. But in this event, there shouldn't be that huge of a star contrast. Yet there still is, even though it's you know it was KD, it was Curry, it was Kyrie. When LeBron comes up, there's just there's some sort of difference there. And maybe it's because LeBron is vocal on so many fronts and was this weekend because, you know, he became the subject of a ridiculous political quagmire um, because he's at the he's at the focal point of so many industries also. So I think with LeBron, there's like the idea that there's just going to be questions about all sorts of different parts of our society, while most of the other players are generally focused on basketball. So there's kind of that to it. But he just has a charisma to him that's just completely unique and I think most people don't really appreciate that because they don't cover the NBA that LeBron is pretty much the best interview in the NBA if not sports as well he gave you a real good answer for that question yeah and like I asked him the question thinking like I'm hoping he'll like maybe reveal a little bit about what the call is and maybe hopefully he'll say something about Kyrie and he like broke down every single cut everything a full X's and O's breakdown um, which like he knows I like because I always ask him questions about that Um, and then he talked about uh, how Kyrie found him and how he and Kyrie have that relationship and that allows them to hit each other well and stuff like that which was like was like gold for me and you know like he 
he knows exactly how to answer a question to give you everything that you need. And he, some, like, sometimes he's a little closed off depending on the situation. In the All-Star game, I think that's an environment where he's not going to be closed off because he doesn't really have to hide anything or protect anything or anything like that. So that was, it just went perfectly, and I was really satisfied. And he was, you know, he, he said what up afterwards and was cool. And that's what I love about LeBron is – I mean, he, you have to ask him a good question. If you ask, if you ask him a crappy question, he, you know, he might flip that on you, which is really on you. But I think he's one of those players that respects a good question and respects the intent behind the question. Humble brag about your question right there. I appreciate that. Oh, you good humble qu- brag for me. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did throw you the lob there. Not bad. So we do miss you over at Celtics Blog quite a bit. So I thought I'd oh, I give you the you opportunity. Yes, of course. And um, I thought I'd give you the opportunity to pull you back in on one of our old traditions over there, the round tables, the staff round tables. We did three this week to pass time through the All-Star break. But good, good subjects that I think you can give some good insight on. Let's burst through these roundtable style as we do. I'll give you the answer I gave, and then uh, we can see what you think about them. The first one was about the starting lineup, and I know Stevens hinted at lineup changes, maybe not specifically starting lineup changes, but lineup changes in general out of the break. But we hit on the starting lineup anyway. Some discussion, some people had Jason Tatum out of the lineup. I stuck with the original lineup. I just... Love the net rating that the Baines lineup gives them to start games. But what do you feel like is going to be the starting lineup out of the break? That's a good question. There's a good chance they might just start Morris more frequently. You know, one of the main reasons why it made sense to not have Morris start was that they wanted his offense with the second unit. But with Monroe being signed, I think that kind of allows them to run through Monroe a little bit more. And they've been... When they signed Monroe, I think this, the coaching staff was still, still trying to figure out how best to utilize him, and they were kind of just having him do some of his usual stuff from the elbows or from the block, and they're going to obviously find a way to better integrate him into what they do. They were hoping at least that earlier that they could use Tatum as like the scoring punch for the second unit, or you could have a second unit of Smart, Rogier, probably Tatum, Morris, and Monroe, and you know sometimes Tice instead of one of those two bigs there. That would be kind of an ideal second unit for them. But they haven't really had a chance to use that lineup too much, so it'll be interesting to see if they can do that more. Maybe using Jalen a little bit more uh, with the second unit would be one good solution. But I think it's probably going to be – they're probably going to sub out Kyrie a little bit earlier and put a little bit more onus on Rogier to run the offense in the first quarter, like more like the four-minute mark. So I wouldn't be surprised if they start putting Kyrie on the bench at like the like the four minute mark or so, and then bring them back out there for the end of the first quarter to run with the second unit, because that's something that they do with Tatum a decent degree with uh, of, and they've been using that with Jalen and Horford sometimes too. So I wouldn't be surprised if they try to find a way for Kyrie to be out there with the second unit more and stagger between him and Horford a little bit more, so that they kind of always have like a good ball mover with every unit. Real quick follow-up to that. Is this a small team still? Because this has always been a small team under Stevens. But before the break, they were running some big lineups. Is that going to be how it is going forward, you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they that the like 6-6 six, six through 6-8 six, lineup was something that they had always envisioned. It was something that they had kind of flexed a little bit at Summer League and then and during preseason with Hayward. Obviously, Hayward went down. They couldn't run that anymore. But... A lot of it depends on Tatum and Brown 
how much can they actually like develop as ball handlers over the next you know few months so that they can run those lineups with those guys handling the rock more. Um, they run a lot of flex offense with that system so that they can get those guys kind of running off of screens in the corners. That It'll be interesting to see if they can continue to focus on that. But, I mean, it, it, I think it's mostly just a matter of how much of a rhythm can Smart get into so that they can have him playing point guard when Kyrie's not out there because they really, you know, they, they did a, they, they've done a good job of utilizing Brown and Tatum without Kyrie on the floor to try to get them looks. But like when those guys are shooting cold, they're kind of screwed for running the offense. And then they had to rely on going ISO to Morris or ISO to Monroe and stuff like that. So smart and Rogier, who's been doing a decent job, but I think smart, who's a more comprehensive point guard running pick and roll at this point, they're really counting on the, on him to make that second unit come alive again. Next question. Who do you want to see round one the Celtics face from an entertainment value? Obviously, it was a very entertaining first round, stress-filled first round for the team more than expected. This year, it's a very packed conference at the bottom. I'm looking forward to Philly if that comes together. There's a lot of connections between those two teams now. The fan bases go at it. It's fun, and Embiid makes everything more fun. That's the one I'm looking forward to. Who do you want to see in the first round? That's the dream matchup. To be able to get Embiid in the first round would just be so entertaining. It's funny because they have the highest variance for potential of any of those like lower Eastern Conference first-round teams. Although I guess Milwaukee you could throw into that too. But I mean Philly, like they they're so unbelievably talented that if those young guys are performing at a high level in the playoffs, which you know it will be their first time, so we'll see. And Simmons is a rookie after all. But I mean, those guys have more talent than a lot of those other teams at the bottom of the East and at the bottom of the first round of the East. And they're probably the most dangerous upset special there. I'm pretty sure Boston can handle them, and I think Boston has a, a good mix of personnel to be able to contain Embiid. I mean, Horford's done a very good job guarding Embiid in the past, but the that's. By far the most exciting matchup. I mean, Philly, come on, Philly's the most exciting team in the NBA. There's no team you enjoy watch, or more excited to watch than Philly. Golden State, obviously, is right there, and Houston's right there. What more could you ask for as a basketball fan to be able to watch Joel Embiid? They've been wildly entertaining this year for good reasons and bad, as we saw recently with some news out of that team uh, that doesn't need to be mentioned. The last question for you. What will it take, this is a big one, for the Celtics to make the NBA Finals this year. And do not mention Gordon Hayward's name. Okay, well, I'm not going to mention Gordon Hayward's name. But, see what I did there? Um, they So, I mean, for them, it has to be that they're clicking at the level that they were in November and December. So, Tatum needs to, I guess his pinky needs to have healed up completely and needs to find his rhythm again and go back to being a knockdown shooter. They need... I mean, Horford's going to step up in the playoffs. Like, I had a lot of conversations with people at the All-Star break about kind of just something that's always, I think a lot of people have, a lot of people that don't like Al Horford say as like an argument for why they hate Al Horford, and they always kind of embellish the issue, but it is a legitimate question, is that Horford every once in a while looks super unstoppable, but he only does it for like quick flashes in games. And you always, and I've always wondered, like, why doesn't he do that more often? Because he shows that he can be physically and athletically dominant. And no matter who I talk to, they basically just chalk it up to it's mostly just him conser- you know, conserving his energy in short spurts throughout the throughout the year. But we always see him really take off in the playoffs. So 
I buy into that. Al's ever given me like the like a perfectly straight answer. It's it's usually just I play through the system or you know or that answer or whatever. So I wish I had something that was like, was like more concrete. But the point is, it takes Horford going out there and playing at the most dominant level that he's capable of playing. Of we saw him do it for a good amount of the playoffs last year, mm-hmm. and he really really carried that team and was really carrying them as Isaiah was battling injury. So it takes that. It obviously takes Kyrie. Kyrie's been very good this year. I know people think he's, you know, at the top of the MVP conversation. I actually don't think he's been as good as he can be, and he hasn't been as good as Isaiah was last year. So there's definitely another level for Kyrie to hit, which he usually does in the playoffs. I mean, Kyrie usually comes to the playoffs and averages like 30 points a game. So I'm sure we'll get there. But So the point is, to answer your question, it takes everyone on the team playing their best, which is what they were doing in the first 30 games of the season. And that's how they that's how they make it to the finals. And it's not far-fetched to assume that could happen. And, you know, I mean, Cleveland, looks, Cleveland looked really good right when they made the trade because they pretty much got the team that they thought they were building before the season. They finally kind of have all those pieces in place now. And obviously Kevin Love isn't even back yet. And we know Kevin Love's an all-star caliber player or is an all-star. So, you know, Cleveland should be the favorite. I would expect that there'll be a little bit of drop-off in performance with Cleveland once they kind of the honeymoon period after the trade is over and they're kind of back to reality. But they're still built to be better than Boston. So I still expect them to be the favorite. But, of course, that's discounting Toronto, who Toronto statistically has been right up there with Houston and Golden State as the best team in the NBA and they sh- they certainly showed the Celtics that they're better than the Celtics when they played a few uh, a couple of weeks ago and blew them out. So Toronto is I still think Toronto should be considered the biggest threat to Cleveland, even though obviously they've they've been better than Cleveland. But Cleveland's a completely new team, so the previous sample doesn't mean too much. Uh, but Toronto. They have revamped their offense to modernize. DeMar DeRozan has taken that leap from being a really good score to being a complete offensive player. Kyle Lowry, frankly, I think hasn't had that amazing of a season. He's starting to warm up now, and obviously Lowry is an all-NBA player. So, I mean, Toronto, I think, has a better chance of making the finals than the Celtics do at this point. But Boston has shown that their system is just so goddamn good that when they put everything together and everybody's hitting their shots, they're probably the most, they're probably the hardest team to stop right now. Or would once be again, the hardest Once again, an important reason to get that one seed. You get to avoid one of those teams in the second round, which is important. And that is Jared Weiss joining the roundtable, as he used to with us over at CelticsBlog.com. Those three roundtables are posted, as well as some other good content from over the break. And uh, check out the Celtics Wire as well. Uh, that's available at uh, Jared Weiss's page. As you know, his Twitter is Jared Weiss NBA. And he will hopefully join us more in the future as he does here on the podcast. A man of many talents giving us analysis and driving at the same time. That's something. Thanks, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. All right. Let's welcome in our next guest. This next passage I'm about to read is from Boston Business Journal. And according to them... The league's best story is in Boston. When it comes to TV, that is. That's just me saying that. Um, Where Celtics games are on NBC Sports Boston, which should hint at who we're going to talk to now, which already has big ratings, or already has had big ratings in the past, has shown the biggest growth percentage 
increase of all teams so far across the NBA, which is seeing increased TV viewership uh, across the board in the top markets. The Celtics, which are in second place in the Eastern Conference, have seen an 82% lift on their games. And I think we can attribute that all to our next guest here, Max Letterman. Congratulations. Thank you. I'll be forwarding this to my bosses so they can uh, take this into account during my review. Yeah, I think uh, you are due all the profits that uh, NBC Sports Boston has reaped this uh, viewing cycle. So besides your great work, what, what can we attribute this to, you would say? Do you have, have you crunched any numbers on this? Oh, yeah, we get emails every day uh, about the ratings. And uh, I got to be honest, I really think it's Kyrie Irving. He's just, a, he's just a different kind of star than this team has had really since KG. And even then, it was, uh, you know, he's, it's, there's something different about a guard like that um, who, who's got his own sneaker. That's what I kept telling people over the summer. Like, just, just think about this. He has his own Nike sneaker. It's not like some Chinese brand. It's, it's real it's Nike. That's that's a big deal. He's got his own movie. Kids love him. So he really and he's you know you guys see it. You watch the games. He is really 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 electric with that basketball. Plus the 16 game win streak and the young kids uh, Tatum and Jalen. But I just really think uh, most of it has to do with just the excitement around getting a star like Kyrie. And just imagine what it would be if Gordon Hayward were playing. So how how long have you worked at INBC now? Uh, eight years. Eight years. So, what besides this season? What was the last uh, most popular TV year for the Celtics prior to this one? Uh, I don't know exactly for sure. I mean, I have the information I could dig for, but off the top of my head, it's definitely the Big Three era. I mean, this mm-hmm. is uh, back from probably not even their last year, if I had to guess. It was it was probably the year before their last year. The Big Three broke up, so um, that was when you know they were up this high before. And it's been a slow, a slow jump uh, since Brad took over. Obviously, they only had that one year where they were really bad. I think we all expected a little bit longer of a, a rebuild. But luckily for us, they got this, uh, this little point guard from Phoenix named Isaiah Thomas. And he sort mm-hmm. of ignited the fan base a bit. I would say so. And the, the 82% thing is staggering because the team was so successful last season. Wildly entertaining, too. Comebacks, the hustle they showed... But there must have just been this underdog status with them that people couldn't shake. And you did hear it in a lot of the sports conversation around the city. The perpetual doubt in that team probably had something to do with that. But I mean, the fact that you had a team so good last year and there was such a massive spike between last year and this year still is staggering, isn't it? I, absolutely, it is. But I think some of that also has to do with the market in general. I think this year was the first year that it really felt like the, you know, there was almost Patriots fatigue. And this isn't scientific. I, this is just my observation. <laughs> uh, it was just Patriots fatigue. It was kind of just people checked out and like, all right, we'll talk to us in the Super Bowl because we all knew that they were going to make it there. So there was maybe a little bit less buzz for that, the Pats. And then the Bruins have been great, but last year they weren't. They were disappointing. And there was kind of, it just, it took a while for people to really realize that about the Bruins for the teams to kind of switch, uh, at least in my mind, in terms of the what the market felt. You know, it felt like pe- Bruins fans or just general fans were holding on to the Bruins a little bit longer and not trusting the Celtics as much. And then that kind of reversed. And ironically, I think the Bruins are 
they're positioned for a nice little run here, but we're not talking about that because you should watch Celtics all the time. That's oh, all. yeah. Every single night. What's, what's been driving me crazy this year is the Celtics and Syracuse have been on every single night at the same time, which is just destroying me TV-wise. I got to do the little stream that you guys run in the background while I'm at the game, and it's just, it's just a mess. I don't like watching the games on the phones, but you should do that. Cause... Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, just, you know, I'm, I'm not shy about it. I'm a Sixers fan. I'm from Philadelphia, so it's pretty rough not being able to watch every game. But you know, I have the streaming service as well. But I also uh, have League Pass, so I go home and watch those. And you know, they had some late nights, but I see a lot of uh, NBA teams because of it. Yeah, I can't, I can't believe the Kyrie effect, by the way, getting back to that. It, it is substantial. And I think you're talking about this guy being probably one of the five most marketable players in the sport at this point, which is stunning because prior to that shot he hit in the finals, you're probably talking about this guy as one of the you know middle guys in the sport, probably upper middle guys in the sport. I, I kind of had a thing against him uh, back in the day that probably um, infiltrates my mind in that sense. But the amount of jerseys that sold to start this year and just the entourage of people standing by him in the stands when he warms up before the game. And, you know, there's probably international interest in him at this point. Uh, he's got a movie. He's got the commercials. This guy, has he is right up there with LeBron. He's might be 1B in this league when it comes to marketable players, right up there with LeBron. Yeah, I tell you what, it, you know, the proof is in the pudding. I was at... Uh... You know, my daughter's soccer over the, you know, in the fall, and there were kids. You know, I saw a kid walking by with a, you know, a Celtics 11. And I had to go, you know, have, ask him to turn around and make sure it wasn't an old Evan Turner jersey shirt. <laughs> I was like, is that Kyrie? And it was like, already the season hadn't even started yet. And uh, it took a while for the number fours, the Isaiahs, to show up, at least just in my town. Um, so it, it just shows you like people bought in instantly with Kyrie because he's such a big name. And I think I think it's the very clever marketing or just smart marketing that he's done his whole career. I mean, he was the number one pick. He went to Duke um, and he's an incredible shooter. I think the, the, that's what really struck me his rookie year was watching him just like, man, he's such a good three point shooter and he can dribble so well. It's the handle, it's the shooting, it's the just making good choices about, you know, what ads he's in. The the Pepsi Max is obviously a gold mine because he has now he has a movie coming out about that character. And it was good. It's it's it was smart and very well played and now he's I think he's ascending to another level with this kind of quirky side where he's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist and people are kind of just it's almost a little bit like, oh man, you know, looking at a, a car accident a little bit. So what's he going to say next? It's going to just be completely ridiculous. But, it, hey, no press is bad press. <laughs> it, it's a passive coolness for sure. Before that flat earth comment, you really didn't hear much from this guy, and you still don't. I mean, he doesn't even really want to talk about the flat earth thing anymore. I was in the locker room a few times over the winter, and you're probably, you're probably not going to hear many more of those questions anymore. And, in fact, I think he did admit the world was round, so we've moved past that at this point. But... Uh, what else about this team sticks out to people? Because obviously Irving's the number one factor. You do have young players, but with 23 games left from an X's and O's standpoint, uh, I said I wasn't going to get an X's and O's this episode. It was going to be all fun and games. But uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, this team really still hasn't clicked, really. You don't know like who's going to be in the starting lineup. You don't know what the rotations are. And there's only 20 games left, which is crazy considering their success that they haven't uh, stuck that out already. 
what it, what is it about this team that is clicked so quickly, even though everything's so new? You know, it's. I think that when they came in, uh, you know, they obviously expected to have Gordon, and he got hurt within the first five minutes of the season, and they just didn't have time because the the scrunched up schedule at the beginning because of their London trip that they didn't have time to really think. And I think that that benefited the Tatum's and the Jalen's of the world just to kind of like look, just just react, just mm-hmm. you know, muscle memory, just do what you're told. You know, if you're open, shoot it, and kind of just just figure it out as you go along. And it, it almost feels like the more rest that they've had, the worse that they've looked, the more time that they've had to kind of think about it and process the information. It's almost like, man, stop thinking, just play. Cause I felt, especially with Jalen last year, you could almost see him thinking on the court, especially yes. on defense. You're like, man, and this year he's been much, much more instinctual and that's benefited the team. But it's those two young guys really just, and the, you know, Danny getting them in the first, you know, seeing the future of the league and saying, I don't care how many, you know, wings or forwards I have, I'm getting more. I want switchability. And it's just helped them defensively. Like if you look at the personnel one for one that they swapped out last year for this year, you know, some of the guys you could say are better defenders, but it's almost a wash. It's just the length is the difference. And it's, it's, they're so much better because of that length and, you know, not having it and Avery, you know, two short guards, you know, even if Avery was a good on-ball defender, I mean, just the proof is in the pudding with how much better they're playing this year. I think at this point, the Gordon Hayward emotion has started to dry up a little bit, and we've really just gone on this everyday tear of being like, oh, is he going to come back? Is he going to come back? It's amazing that that emotion lasted for over three-fourths of the season, I feel like. This group was just going on pure adrenaline based off that last night, just like you said. And... It has been incredible to see how effective they have been over a mass of games at this point. And it went by so fast. Like, I look at the 23 games remaining, and I'm just like, whoa, where'd this all go? And I think that was a big part of that is that this group just kept going and going and going. And there were so many games in December, as you said, not a lot of time to think about it. And they they just seem to power off the fact that, like, oh, crap, we all have opportunities now. We got to make the most of this. And then... All of a sudden, we're weeks away from the playoffs, and there has been that space to think about it, and they've hit a little bit of a bump here, it looks like. So I think that theory definitely holds up. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, I think now that you can kind of reset a little bit, hit the refresh button, and uh, and kind of just settle back into things and and you know look down, down the stretch here at the 23 games, and hopefully they... You know, getting Marcus back will help defensively, and I think also offensively as well, and and Terry has been playing with more confidence, and I'd be interested to see how he and he and Marcus uh, reacquaint themselves with each other on the court. Because I think a confident Terry with Marcus out there, you know, playing similar roles to what they were before, but maybe just a little bit better, is is such a difference maker for this team. You guys have a lot of fun. It looks like over there at NBC Sports. You know, I've been loving the social media interaction you guys have pushed out there this season because. Let's face it, we have the goofiest fan base. Like, we really do. You know very well from being on Twitter just how wacky and crazy this fan base is with all the memes and everything. And I, I get caught up in it. It's hilarious. And, and you kind of do have to respond to that because that's who the market is, it feels like, is that just that goofy internet presence around this team, whether it's everyone over there on the Reddit page, everyone on the Twitter line. There's just so much 
goofy stuff around this team, and I love it. It makes it entertaining. It makes it fun. I think uh, you know myself and others get too caught up in the X's and O's, and we do forget that this is all about fun sometimes. What's that uh, interaction like? I know you're a 76ers fan, so you are a little bit removed from the Celtics sphere, but you do interact with these people on a day-to-day basis over social media. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm fully entrenched in Celtics Twitter. I like it a lot. It's, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, especially with the Sixers, you know, becoming more of a relevant team, just the, the evolution of the, the rivalry between the two teams. It's, it's, unfortunately, it's a little vicious. I don't like being caught in the middle of that because, you know, I got to try to separate church and state here. Yeah. But the, the Celtics Twitter is, it's snarky and I like that a lot. That's, that's right up my alley. And, uh, you know, some of the people that I engage with, you know, regularly are, you know, I should put it this way. They're out there. They're a little <laughs> odd. And that's <laughs> wheelhouse for me. It's just Celtics Twitter is definitely weird. It's the weird one of, of the NBA. I mean, he Twitter's disgusting and awful. Cavs Twitter's pathetic and sad. Uh, Celtics Twitter. <laughs> I like a that. Weird. We, we, we engage with the Cavaliers Twitter quite a bit on this program. So I like that you threw that in there. <laughs> I'm just stating facts. I'm an objective observer. <laughs> I will just let that float out there and resonate with everyone for a minute. <laughs> uh, that's great. So, yeah, you, so have you pretty much from a social media standpoint reflected that in how NBC, um, you know, gets out there and uh, interacts with the people? Yeah, we we definitely try to... Uh, you know, we look at trends that are happening, what's effective, and we try to engage as much as we can. Uh, and it's just the nature of the NBA really is to troll mm-hmm. and that, you know, team accounts do it to each other. And just like I, nothing that a team has done to troll another team has done anything but make me happy and smile, even if it's my team that's getting trolled. You know, it's just funny. It's great. It's the players talk trash to each other in game. And then they, they you know, try to blast each other on Instagram. It just... So we try to do that, but, you know, with the, you know, under the guise of, you know, we're a big mega corporation that has actually rules so you know, we can't cross lines and stuff like that. So, but, you know, we try to have fun with it. That's the biggest thing is like, even if it's a little bit trolly, it's, it's all good natured and fun. And sometimes I have to step in in the dimensions of some of our tweets and just be like, all right, come on, we're talking about a game here. Let's, let's relax. <laughs> you know, nobody's, you know, going to die because of a tweet, you know, let's just have fun and, but that is what we try to do is just have a little fun and, and engage as well. And, you know, we've tried different things in different ways. But I remember uh, it's Janos before a- anyone even knew who he was because he tweeted at us all the time on the uh, NBC Celtics account. Fantastic. So real quick, we're running out of time before I get to throw you out of the uh, party right here. Who is the uh, favorite person you've had into the studio this year? I, I did enjoy the Terry Rogier interview that you guys had uh, earlier in the season. Who's the uh, favorite guest you've had in the studio this year, you would say? Well, in the studio probably would be Terry. He's he's just he's just funny. He's funny. I mean, he was a little shy at first, but he's just he's a character. <laughs> like I I want him to succeed really badly because confident Terry gets to talk more in post game and he gives great interviews and he has funny quotes that it just seems like get lost in the ether because he didn't have a good game or whatever. But uh, I mean, I noticed that before last season in preseason, he had a good game. He said something, I can't remember what the quote was, but he just talked about how his mom 
you know, always tells him this. And I feel like he mentions his mom a lot. And that's funny. And don't follow him on Snapchat if you're a kid. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you went in that direction. That was a little bit of a leading question on my part. But, yeah, I feel like him more than anyone when he first got here was just like, what the hell is going on with this fan base, the way they interact with this team? It, it's just wacky, as we just talked about a few minutes ago. And I think I think he's starting to get a little bit of a feel for it. It started with the spaghetti and ranch sandwich and how obsessed everyone was about that. But as time goes on, it's he's definitely gotten a little more comfortable with uh, how weird we are as a Celtic sphere. But uh, that is all I got for you, Max Letterman. Any final words before we send you off? Just keep watching. Thanks, everyone, and and tweet at us. Tweet at me. Tweet at you. Tweet at everyone. Just I like the uh, the community we got going here in Celtics Twitter, Celtics social media, Celtics fans, and uh, you know, keep it up. All right, get out of here, man. Thanks for being here, and we will talk to you soon. There's a lot more I want to hit on with you, but we'll have plenty more opportunities to talk about other stuff in the future. Have a good one, Max. Thanks, Bobby. That is our show. Thanks to everybody for listening, and please subscribe to Stitcher, iTunes, The Banners Broadcast. Just type that into Google and all your options will pop up the best way you can support our show and your listenership means a lot to me i appreciate it we have done 27 shows at this point going back to the summer didn't know how this was gonna go but we're getting uh thousands of you listening every single episode so that means a ton to me as uh someone who has put quite a bit of work into this and um i thank you immensely um I'm going to pay you back, any of you. If you want to ask a question on here, give your take on here. Um, We have an open voicemail at 978-595-1744 that you can call, give your take, and it will go right up here on this podcast. That's been my take from day one. Where you can thank us back, subscribe, rate over at iTunes and Stitcher. So thank you so much. Uh, Thanks to Jared and Max Letterman for being here today. And thank you to CLNS Media, as always, for hosting us. I am Bobby Manning, and that is our show. See you next week. Get back some X and O's. Get back to some Celtics uh, takes and analysis here on this show with our staff over at Celtics Blog. Thanks, everybody, and good night. Bleep you. This is this is our way. Yes, loud. Stevens is pretty smart and knows what he's doing. The 3 and D roll. Go it's a D League. If I had uh, Antoine Walker's body, I'd be an all-star. <laughs> Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden, other than the fact that it's a 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.